Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 10th episode of Talking Politics. And today we have a good conversation for you. Today we talk with Jake Bentley. He is a stand up comedian from Connecticut. Uh, we talk about lots of issues, and I hope you enjoy the show. All right, welcome to the show, Jake. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Nick. Of course, thank you for coming on. So, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so, I am a stand-up comic and insurance agent. One of those things is a lot more uh, exciting than the other insurance, obviously. <laughs> um, I've been doing stand-up comedies. <laughs> I've been doing uh, stand-up comedy since 2006. Uh, actually, I, I had my first podcast around 2006 with a couple other um, stand-up comics. If you can find old reality wasted episodes, uh, they were they were gems. Um, but uh, been slowing down on the comedy lately. You know, uh, got two kids myself living up here in uh, in frosty old Connecticut. <laughs> uh, taking advantage of the good weather, I'm actually uh, recording from my deck. So. Hopefully, no bears attack. <laughs> well, so when I asked the group about any guests to come on to talk about politics, you offered to come on. Tell me a little bit about your political views. So actually, I, I think I'm very fortunate in my political views uh, because I have been exposed to both sides immensely. Um, I grew up in a super conservative Christian household like evangelical Christian type. Um, and I'm also a stand-up comic. So I have been exposed to the far right as well as the far left. Uh, I consider myself very lucky that I have not been trapped in an echo chamber. Um, mm -hmm. I do pride myself on hearing both sides out. Um, I do consider myself a moderate because of that. You know, and it's, it's kind of funny too because most people hear moderate and they think, uh, you know, they think you're just kind of like a middle of the road sad sack who wants everyone to get along. And that really couldn't be further than uh, further from the truth. Um, I do have very strong political opinions. I, I think what I define as a moderate uh, is that I don't check all the boxes on one side. You know, I have some far right views. I have some far left views. Um, and I think all in all, I just kind of get pulled to the center, you know, when you take all things into consideration. Mm -hmm. Well, so let's go back 2016. Yeah. If you don't mind. Oh, I don't mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually, uh, I voted for Gary Johnson. All right. All right. Um, you know, I'll, I get a lot of shit for it because, you know, you get your people like, oh, you're the reason Trump won. But, you know, I'm, I'm registered as an independent. And I think if I'm not registered to one of the parties, I don't know any of them, my vote, you know, mm -hmm. um, I feel like a candidate has to earn my vote. I'm not going to pick the lesser of the two evils. I'm going to take the candidate, whoever in that moment, you know, speaks to me the most, um, whoever I, I feel the most passionate about, I'm going to vote for them, even if they are going to lose, because that's how you make your voice heard, not by, you know, not by just lining up with the lesser of two evils, in my opinion. No, no, I agree. Well, I took a different route. I just didn't vote presidential. I voted the rest of the ballot. 
that's yeah that's that's viable too i was i was living in california at the time so my vote was didn't didn't matter at the end of the day (laughs) (laughs) you you know i'm i'm in connecticut i mean like people can give me shit all they want i i circled you know i filled out my bubble for gary johnson but when the day was said and done i voted for hillary clinton whether or not i wanted to so (laughs) (laughs) so going up to 2020 now is there any candidates that stand out to you you know it's it's funny you mentioned that um so i'm i'm not a big trump fan uh i'm really i'm really not but i'm also not an anybody but trump guy either um you know if if i'm if i'm kind of on the fence between two i think i'd rather stick with the devil i know rather than the devil who i think may have some really good intentions but has a lot of unintended consequences behind the things they want to to get across um on the democratic side uh there's well there has been three candidates that i i would vote for if it came down to it for various reasons um i would vote for joe biden uh typically because he i view him as kind of a non-factor you know um i think he'd be just plain vanilla he's not going to do anything crazy he's not going to try and upend the status quo uh very non-threatening is Mm -hmm. is why it and he would be well he's not a he's not a crazy person uh, so, so I'd, I'd give him my vote for that. Um, I, you know, I typically, I don't like a lot of her stances, um, and I don't necessarily align myself with a lot of her views, but I, if I'm going to go for one of like the more progressive candidates, I don't hate Tulsi Gabbard. Um, you know, of the, the people who, you know, want to go the more socialist route, who, um, you know, want to go that more far left progressive type. Uh, I think she has the the best head on her shoulders as far as they go. So I, I really wouldn't be opposed to Tulsi Gabbard. I think I'd vote for her. Um, I really liked Andrew Yang too. Um, but lately he's just been saying some weird, like, you know, his, his stuff. I don't know if you've seen, he's been talking about uh, doing like buybacks for cars uh, and he's, he said some stuff about, you know, how we should all be going vegan. Uh, he's, he's been kind of, it's, it's not that the things he says are necessarily pushing me away as much as it is. I feel like he's just kind of a yes man, um, who's just pandering to whatever crowd, um, he's listening to, you know, he sounds very different on the Joe Rogan show. He sounds very different on like, um, you know, Ben Shapiro's podcast podcast than he does when he goes on CNN. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've kind of lost a little bit of respect for him, you know, in, in, in that realm. So what do you think about uh, Tulsi Gabbard's uh, foreign policy, how she wants to pull out in all those countries? How she wants to, sorry, I, I missed that. How she doesn't want to be involved in Syria and all that. You know, I don't, I don't mind that actually. Um, I, I think we could, the U S has to be police of the world to an extent. Um, you know, everyone loves to complain about it, but we would leave such a power vacuum if we just completely upended and left all of a sudden. 
Um, and I think that would, uh, that would cause a lot of problems. But at the same time, I can, I can, I can agree with that sentiment. I think we're a little too involved with places. Um, I maybe wouldn't want to pull out of some of the more um, volatile places right away. I don't, I don't think I'd want to necessarily pull out of, you know, Syria. I wouldn't necessarily want to pull out of the Middle East yet. Um, but I mean, there are so many places we, we are, you know, we're, we're in Europe. Like, why, why do we have bases in Europe? Why are we protecting Europe? Why are we protecting Sweden? Why are, you know, these, these countries can all, you know, manage themselves a little bit more. So I agree with the premise of it. I don't know if I'd go quite so far as to getting out of the Middle East, getting out of Syria, getting out of those places yet. All right, and then, uh, so what about Andrew Yang did you like before? I, I like that Andrew Yang is the one guy who is bringing up uh, the role of technology. Uh, you know, like I, like I said a little bit earlier, I'm an insurance agent, and insurance is very reluctant to embrace technology. It's, it's one of the biggest faults of the industry. They're risk averse and technology is a risk that, excuse me, right now that they're avoiding. Um, so I'm kind of lucky um, in that, you know, my job is gonna be safe for a little bit, but there's, there is a lot of, there's a lot of jobs out there that aren't going to be safe out there. You know, um, mm -hmm. if, if they wanted to, I could, I could be replaced within five years. Um, you know, and I like that he's acknowledging that. I like that he's taking steps towards that. Um, I'm not, I'm not super huge on social programs if you haven't picked that up yet. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I do think there is a need for them at, in some circumstances. Um, and I think he's hitting on something that most candidates just kind of want to plug up their ears and go la, 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 and just, you know, just ignore because it's hard. Um, I like that he's embracing that. Yeah, well, it, that's what stood out to me about him was he's the only one who's on that stage who's brought up a universal basic income at all. Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, that's that's kind of strange too because it would accomplish a lot of the things that um, some some of these other candidates are trying to do, and while it would cost a lot, uh, and it would it would be a heavy um, you know, it would be kind of a heavy price burden on that. It's not nearly as much as some of the things that other people are suggesting that we do. Um, I think I think a universal basic income would probably be a lot more feasible than paying off <laughs> paying off everyone's college or you know providing yeah. everyone insurance. Well, yeah, the argument he he says for it is it's a fairly good one. It's a, a majority of Americans worry about their financial status every every paycheck, their living yeah. paycheck to paycheck. If if you could relieve the burden on the on everyone in the middle class and below, that's he makes a fairly good argument for it. Absolutely. I mean, just thinking like. Thousand dollars to every adult over the age of eighteen. Great, you give me and my wife a thousand dollars. Our mortgage is covered. You know how much more we could pump into the economy, <laughs> not having to worry about that. You know that monthly bill there. 
Yeah, and then you have like Bernie Sanders who talks about universal health care. And I feel like a lot of the politics now is it, they're trying to just make a statement. Like Bernie Sanders, like, how are you going to pay for it? He's like, we're going to pay for it. Healthcare is a universal right. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I think his heart's in the right place. I, I really do. Um, but, you know, kind of being in the insurance industry myself, um, you know, I, I have a little bit of, um, I have a little bit of knowledge, you know, inside knowledge about how the industry works, how, you know, a lot of these things come together. And when I just, I hear him talk about insurance, you know, um, I don't know how familiar you are with how insurance works. Um, but so every insurance company has what's called a combined ratio. It's how much you, you know, pay in versus, or how much you take in versus how much you take out. And um, to, to kind of give an example, um, most insurance companies, the property and casualty side is a little more well-known than, than some of the life and health side of things. Uh, but, you know, a lot of these companies are operating on combined ratios of, you know, 115%. I, I actually worked for a company that has 115% combined ratio. So they were spending a dollar fifteen for every dollar of premium they took in. And the reason that they're profitable is because they're great at investing. Um, you know, the government, the government's dipped its toe in insurance. Um, namely, you know, flood insurance, um, FEMA, and it's a disaster. Um, it's going belly up. Uh, private insurers are actually starting to get in on the flood insurance market because the government is so bad at it. Well, well yeah, that's a problem that I view having these programs, the people will abuse the programs. And if everyone has it with no, nothing goes into account except for that you're an American citizen. Yeah. Then you're going to have some problems with the spending. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think our insurance is a, um, you know, I don't think our health insurance situation in this country is a well-oiled machine by any, you know, means. It definitely needs to be retooled. It needs to be worked. It's, it's not, it's not good, but I think that's kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater a little bit. So when we started, you said your some policies on the right, far right you agree with, some policies on the far left you agree with? Yes. What, what are some of the right-leaning policies you agree with? Uh, some of the right-leaning policies, mm -hmm. the biggest one is, uh, is abortion. Um, I, I, I am... I'm, I'm hard pro right, uh, pro life. Uh, um, I think abortion, and and like don't get me, don't get me wrong. I, I see the other side of it. Um, I think, I think abortion is one of the most fascinating, um, you know, fascinating topics uh, because it's the only one where I feel like each side kind of contradicts what they typically value. You know, um, the left is usually all about, you know, protecting the underdog. The left's usually about being, 
being compassionate and, and sticking up for those who can't stick up for themselves, while the right is usually about choice. You know, they're usually about, like, keep the government out of things. Um, and, and in this particular scenario, they kind of crossed, and you have two sides. Um, one side, you know, one side screaming about choice, the other side screaming about, you know, life. And, and both of those are valid rights, and one of them has to look to the other. Um, and I, personally, I, I'm on the side of life, you know. Um, that being said, I do think pro-choice candidates have better solutions than um, pro-life candidates. Uh, on the pro-life side, it's usually a hard let's overturn Roe versus Wade. On the hard left side, it's usually you know let's institute social programs to you know give choice as far as you know birth control. Let's make it readily available. I think pro-life candidates would probably, if if the right kind of cooperated in, in the, uh, you know, providing birth control, providing, you know, alternate methods um, of contraception. I think, uh, I think they would wipe out, you know, abortions quicker than the right. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I'm not super huge into social programs, but um, sometimes, you know, sometimes they're worth it. And sometimes things need to be done to, uh, you know, for the overall benefit. I'm not a defund Planned Parenthood guy. Um, I would double the funding of Planned Parenthood with the caveat that, you know, this goes to IUDs, this goes to birth control pills, this, you know, this goes to, you know, other preventative measures. Well, so my, my thing that I've always wondered about Planned Parenthood, that Planned Parenthood funds candidates, like they donate to campaigns, but they're also getting getting government spent or government funds. <laughs> yeah, you know? or, or, and obviously you can make it look on paper that that money doesn't go straight from the government to them. But at the end of the day, the the money goes into a bucket. They take money out of that bucket and give it to them. Yeah, put it. Yeah, a, a kind of a circular. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely some questionable things, and I know people are gonna bring up, you know, the the eugenics part of it, um, you know, and some of the things like Margaret Sanger, um, mm -hmm. you know, had said regarding especially kind of the extermination of the African American people. I've I've read a lot of those quotes in context, and I, I do think some of them are blown out of proportion. And it's, I don't know, it's one of those things that even if that's how it started, and even if that was the intention, things change, you know, over time. Um, you know, Viagra was originally a heart medicine. No one made Viagra for the purpose of giving old men boners, but here we are. Yeah. <laughs> So, you live in Connecticut. I live in Connecticut. So, in Connecticut, that's where uh, Sandy Hook happened? That is where Sandy Hook happened, yeah. Where do you lie on the gun control issue? 
That's a good, you know, I think, um, I think gun control is, is right up there with abortion and it's just one of the most volatile discussions you can have with someone. Um, kind of similarly, I do see both sides of it. Um, you know, I do see the, the second amendment was put in place to give, you know, the people a chance to protect themselves from their government, you know, um, and, and that has to be kept in mind, you know, that, you know, it's, it's nice that we can use them for hunting or, you know, personal protection, but really we have the right to bear arms to protect ourselves from the government. Um, on the other side of it, you know, it gets to, at one point, you know, at what point do we limit that? Um, because even though it's intended for something, it's being used in another way. I, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of common sense. What I mean by common sense is, you know, let's do you probably shouldn't have access to I think we should do away with the HIPAA laws that don't let I'm sorry, I'm sorry, hold on a sec. Uh, sure. Your volume just went down a little bit. I don't know if wind hit or something. Oh, it may have been. I'm inside of a, <laughs> I'm inside of like a, a screen house. So, uh, oh. but I am pacing around a little bit. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I can hear you better right now. All right. Um, I, I wouldn't mind stripping away, you know, some of the more prohibitive HIPAA laws. Um, what is it, something like, a high 90% of, you know, mass shooters have been on psychotropic meds. Um, you know, the right tends to scream a lot about, you know, it's mental health, it's mental health, it's mental health. And I agree, it's mental health. And I think where the right kind of shoots itself in the foot is they say it's mental health, but then they do nothing to address the mental health part of it. Um, I, I think they're hitting on what it is. They're just not willing to do anything about it. They'd rather mental health be a straw man to not attack guns rather than to address what most likely is the actual issue. Well, yeah, well, when it comes to mental health, the right isn't much for programs, but something that would help is having like public mental health institutions absolutely that people could go to or people can get other people to go to and like in the 60s 70s uh, up until the 80s we used to have public health institutions or mental health institutions yeah but then we lost funding for it and then we just never went back to it and i i think that would you know like i said i'm i'm not a social programs guy but they're very needed in some, you know, I think we need a social floor. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't think we should be redistributing wealth. I don't think we should, um, you know, I don't think we should turn over all corporations to people. But I do think, you know, there are basics that need to be met, and and mental health is one of them. Um, that's one of those things we just we need to invest in. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. So, but for, what do you think about uh, people on the left, they want to, a lot of them are saying they want to ban the AR-15s. 
Yeah, so, oh yeah, sorry, I was, I was kind of building, uh, building up to that. So, um, you know, I'm all for, I'm all for the stringent background checks. I'm all for limiting, you know, if, if you have someone on psychotropic meds or someone in your family is on psychotropic meds, you know, someone within your household, I'm, I'm for you don't get guns, you know. Um, I'm all for regular testing to make sure you're able to, uh, you know, to, to shoot that gun. Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I think the best way to fight a, a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun, but I think the worst thing you can stick in a situation is a well-meaning doofus with a gun. Um, so I think you should be able to, you know, show a certain level of expertise with that gun. Um, but I think if you can pass a background check, if you can, you know, show a certain skill level with that gun, um, and if you can pass the mental health check for you, everyone in your family, I think you should be able to have whatever gun you want. All right. So now that we've talked about Yang, Gabbard, guns, let's talk about Biden. Let's talk about Biden. (laughs) In the last debate, he looked all right. And then at the end, he had the whole 3-0-3-3-0 incident. So let me just rephrase the entire question. Do you think any of the Democrats have a chance of beating Trump? (sighs) Honestly, no. I don't. Um, I, I wish that wasn't my answer. Um, but I don't, I don't think any of them would approach debates with him in a way that would be, that would be beneficial to them. Uh, I think when you put, yeah, I almost think it's going to take a lunatic to beat Trump. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because like, how, how are you going to debate a guy like, how do you want to come in intellectually with facts and debate a guy who just has no, you know, he, he has no, he doesn't need to be factually right. He needs to make a point. That's, that's where he's coming from, you know, and you can, you can fact check him all day. You can point out where he's wrong, where he's lying. It doesn't matter. Like he, I was reading, he has a, um, amongst Republicans, he has a 90% approval rating. Like, how crazy is that? Who, who was the last person who had a 90%, the last sitting president who had a 90% approval rating, even within their own party? Um, they're going to eat up everything that guy says, you know, and I think you need somebody who has a commanding presence, you know? You, you need someone who's very charismatic, who can who can do what Trump does, walk into a room and just demand everybody's attention. You know, whether you like him or hate him, you do. Like, you you listen to the things the guy says, you're invested in the things the guy says. And I just don't see anyone on the Democratic side who has that charisma, who has that engagement, who can do that. Well, yeah, most people I've interviewed and I've, I, we've either gotten to that part or I've asked the question. They all say the same thing. Or a lot of these politicians are playing a different game than he is. Yeah. 
Uh, he's treating it like a reality TV show, which part of that is the media's fault. And they're playing it like they're campaigning for a Senate seat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know some people, you know, are saying like Trump is playing like 4D, you know, underwater chess. <laughs> I, I don't I don't see that as the case. Um, I, I see that like everybody is treating him that way. But the dude's playing, dude's just playing some hungry, hungry hippos. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're sitting there trying to take the king. And while you're doing that, he eats all the marbles. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just, I, I almost think you need someone just as, as hard-headed and stubborn as, as he is. But in a different way, because you're never going to out-Trump Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone needs to come at it at a different approach, not exactly like he does, but takes the same amount of attention. Exactly. You know, like, the game plan has to be make Trump irrelevant. And I just, I don't think anybody, anybody on the blue team can do that right now. So for the Democratic policies, which ones do you like the most? Oh, as far as like uh, where, where do I, you know, ski far left? Yeah. Uh, definitely, um, definitely like gay rights, gay marriage. Um, like I said, I, um, you know, I grew up in a super conservative, you know, Christian household, uh, you know, during the 90s where like being gay was the worst thing you could possibly be. Um, and just kind of seeing that and and seeing, you know, how how much damage you do to people. Um, I'm now, I'm a big believer that, you know, everyone should have a right to love, you know, who they love. Um, you know, I, I think... Um, you know, I think everyone needs to be treated with love and respect. Um, I don't see why it's such a big deal for a baker to bake, you know, <laughs> to bake mm-hmm. cake for a gay couple. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it tell you that as a Christian, it is your responsibility to protect the sanctity of cake. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of hatred that goes around, and I. I, I think I feel as strongly about that as anything else. Um, same with, you know, when you get into like trans rights, it's, it's not that I feel differently about, um, you know, about trans people. Um, you know, I, I feel the same way, but I think there's a few more factors uh, at play than there is, you know, than in like, the gay community, especially when you get into um, sports competition, um, even overall, you know, overall like treatment methods. Sorry, I kind of just broached two topics at once there. Well, well, uh, I I want to hit on the baking the cake thing. Yeah, that yeah. Whole, that whole thing was kind of a wacky situation not not just that they wouldn't bake them the cake but i guess supposedly they they did refer them to other bakers that would yeah 
but it was still one of those things that um, you know, kind it, of like it's a hard thing to know I'm what sorry. to do. Like to refuse someone's service because their uh, sexual orientation is wrong, but also to force someone to do something that they feel like is not right is also wrong. Yeah, I, I was actually going to say it's kind of like the you know the abortion argument where both sides have a valid argument, but somebody's rights have to yield to another. Um, and you know when it when it comes down to it, if you're going to make you know if you're going to side with a baker and tell this gay couple no, he doesn't have to bake your cake. You are you know you are flat out saying that, you know, your life choice is wrong, at least in, in some people's eyes. Uh, whereas if you, you know, if you side against that baker and you tell him, hey, you have to make that cake, I mean, I think worst case scenario, what you're saying is mm, your interpretation of your beliefs might be a little hard for skewed. You know, it, it's not, I don't know. I, like I said, I think one has to yield to the other as far as rights go. I think both should be acknowledged like yes, you each have a right here. Um, but one of you has to get the right of way. I, I would feel a lot more comfortable giving the gay couple that right of way. All right, and now let's hit on the transgender issue. Yes. So that took a time, Bob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh so you mentioned sports. What do you think about transgenders going into the um, sport that they now identify with? Yeah, I, I mean, I do. I do think what sport we're talking about matters. You know, mm -hmm. like if if we're, you know, if we're doing skeet shooting, all right, fine. You know, <laughs> compete with whatever gender you want because there's, I'm sure there's still going to be some biological differences, but they're going to be minimal. It's, it's not going to be that, that big a deal. But, you know, when you get into, you know, when you get into combat sports, I think that's where, um, you know, that's where it really, like if you're going to be like a transgender pro wrestler and it's all scripted, by all means, you know, go for it. Um, but when you get, you know, Olympic wrestlers who were born men, you know, going into the women's division, when you get, you know, UFC fighters, you know, there, there's a big one with uh, you know, Fallon Fox, the, the transgender um, mixed martial arts fighter. Uh, he's basically just biologically a dude just beating on men uh, or beating on women. I, that's where, that's where there's a, you know, there's a problem. There's a biological difference you know, mm -hmm. between, between men and women. Um, you know, if, if you're transgendered, I love you, completely support you. Uh, if it's going to make you feel a whole lot better about yourself for me to call you the name you prefer, I have no problem doing that. If you have a certain pronoun that you want to be referred to, I, if, if that's going to make you feel better about yourself, I will happily and gladly call you by that. You know, um, I think if you're a man who has transitioned into a woman, you know, I view you as a woman until you're not. And, and that would be <laughs> combat, you know, mm -hmm. beating, beating on 
beating on you know biological women that's that's kind of that's that's where i'll draw a line uh, yeah uh, i've never really understood the people that have such an issue with it like i think i think it's their own life they could do what they want with it uh, that's the argument i don't get from the right they tend to have a yeah. problem with transgender people but it's their life let them do what they want to do with it that should have been the conservative position to begin with, you know? It, it, yeah, it really should have been. I mean, as far as treatment goes, and I mean, I am, you know, I am not a psychologist in any way. Uh, I don't want to pretend to be one. My thought of it, it's it's the only form of dysphoria uh, or dysmorphia where we, we lean into, you know, what the mind says. Like, you know, anorexic people, don't go to therapy sessions to have a therapist tell me like, you know what, you are a fat ass. You should stop eating. Uh, <laughs> you know, in, in, in no other, you know, in no other mind body disease do we sign with the mind and say the mind is right. The body is wrong. Let's alter the body to align with the mind. Normally we do the opposite. We try and find medications. We try and find treatments to align the mind with the body. Um, but once again, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a doctor. So, you know, while that may make sense to me, there could be plenty of other factors at work that, you know, makes that point of view mute. <laughs> moot. <laughs> uh, could make it a moot point of view. So, uh, but but that's, that's kind of how I feel about it. But at the same time, we should have the common decency just to, you know, treat people how they want to be treated. Yeah, totally. So where do you lie on the climate change issue? Um, I mean, I think it's pretty undeniable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and I think most reasonable people, even in the far right, uh, you know, will, you know, will acknowledge that climate change. Um, they may argue the, um, you know, the extent of it, they may argue, you know, whether or not human, uh, you know, human actions are really making that big of a deal or if climate change is just going to be a natural occurring thing either way. I prefer to, I err on the side of science <laughs> when, you know, when, when there's a thing, um, you know, so I'm, Worst case scenario, we overprotect ourselves and we, we lean a little too much into, you know, um, trying to clean up our world. I don't have a problem with that. Um, I do think, you know, any, I know, um, you know, AOC just, uh, not just, but, you know, this past year submitted her new Green Deal. I think any sort of Green Deal or effort to clean up you know, what we're doing that doesn't involve nuclear power is kind of a joke. And it's, you know, um, I don't know how things are, you know, where you are, but up here in, up here in Connecticut, they actually just uh, they put a ban on plastic bags. Uh, you know, you can't use plastic bags anymore. Uh, or, you know, the few places that do, you have to pay an extra tax to be able to, like something like that, I think is ridiculous. Um, you know, all the research and all the, the data shows that that actually isn't, you know, a benefit because people tend to lean into garbage bags a little more. They waste even more plastic. Um, paper bags are even more wasteful. 
than you know than the plastic ones. We have a tendency as of, you know as humans to try and inconvenience ourselves and then pat ourselves on the back for making a difference. Um, I feel like that's the kind of change that something like that is doing. I feel like that's kind of what the Green New Deal was. It was uh, let's make things harder for ourselves because that means we're doing something. Yay us! Um, I'm I'm all for real changes. I think nuclear power is a good place to start. Um, it's you know the cleanest, most efficient um, you know power source. And until until we go there, we're just kind of you know we're we're just jerking ourselves off. <laughs> yeah well uh just on wednesday i believe when cnn did the town hall all the candidate or the 10 highest polling candidates did the the town hall on climate change uh elizabeth warren came out and said that she's opposed to nuclear energy totally which I, I've never really understood. It's it's an alternative source. Yes, there's been screw-ups in the past, but now we can learn from our mistakes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's you know, obviously there's Chernobyl, there's, you know, uh, Three Mile Island. Was that the other one? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, th- so, yeah, there's been some, there's been some things, but, like, those were, those were nuclear facilities, you know, built all that time ago you know that that'd be like saying you know vans aren't safe because you know my grandfather drove a van in the 70s got into an accident and everybody died well vans today aren't quite the same they have safety features that the ones you know back in the 70s didn't have seat belts um are a thing now they're mandatory there's a lot of safety features that would be included in new nuclear um facilities that weren't included then and you, I don't know I don't think you can take that outdated technology and hold it up as to why we can't do new things um, you know even then I think more people have have died you know in processing some of the energies you know the fossil fuels um, you know we're, we're using now than happened in all nuclear disasters, it's just that those ones were a lot flashier and uh, and more newsworthy. Well, yeah, I feel like not a lot of people know how dangerous it is to work at these uh, oil rigs. Like that's why they Definitely. get paid. Like the people doing all the labor, like they get paid a good amount of money because it's pretty dangerous. Yeah, it's straight up hazard pay. Yeah. <laughs> I had some somewhere I was going to go. Um, I mean, but, speaking speaking of pay, I mean, not to not to turn the people and interview you a little bit, but I'm just, just kind of curious. Where do you where do you fall and stand on the whole, you know, uh, gender pay gap? Gender pay gap. I think there is a gap. I think there's enough studies that show that there is a gap, but there's also studies that show there's reasons for the gap, or not necessarily yeah. per, like straight reasons, but things that we can look at as to why possibly there is this gap. 
So do, I, I don't think it's 70 cents to a dollar. I yeah. think the closer number is probably like 92 cents to a dollar, which even then there still is a disparity. But I don't think it's as bad as, I think if they just said that number, I think everyone could go on board with it and we can go to fix it. But if you, if you use all male incomes and all female incomes, no matter the job, no matter education or anything like that, and you go based off of that, then you're going to have a lot of people less likely to back you up on the idea. You know, I, I completely agree with that. It's, uh, it's actually kind of funny because I, uh, you know, I was curious to look at like the top 10 highest earning celebrities and, you know, see kind of the, the discrepancy of male to female. And there was, there was eight male to two female, but the two female were number one and number two. And <laughs> the eight men were three through 10. Yeah, well, I think I think we could use Hollywood as an example. Uh, the reason why, I guess, someone like Tom Cruise would get paid more money than an actress like Scarlett Johansson. Tom Cruise, if you just look on paper, he's getting paid more. Oh, it's because he's a guy. That's that's what I feel like a lot of people on the left's argument is. Yeah, but. In reality, he's also doing his own stunts. He's he's putting in extra time. I'm not saying specifically Scarlett Johansson, but just as an example, Tom Cruise goes above and beyond, and that's why he gets paid more. You know? Yeah, I mean Tom Cruise too. He's I mean, I'm not I'm not a fan of the guy personally, but he is a 30 year proven you know blockbuster machine. Uh, you know, like what's what's the lowest you know, what's the lowest gross movie he's ever done? Like Last Samurai? Um, <laughs> you know, whereas, uh, you know, like you can take Scarlett Johansson and like, she's, she's definitely had some bombs, you know, Ghost in the Shell, uh, Under the Skin. Like, was it, like, she, had, she had some movies that were praised critically, but didn't really pull in money. And at the end of the day, that that's what determines, you know, and I think, I think that's the issue that we're running into, um, is that we have a whole bunch of people, um, on, and they are mostly on the left who equivalent, uh, you know, they equal the pay someone's getting for their value as a human being, rather than their value for the job they're doing. You know, I'm mm -hmm. going to pay someone eight bucks an hour tops to wash windows. I don't care if it's Albert Einstein who's washing the windows. What he's doing isn't worth more than that eight bucks an hour. And that's not a reflection on him as a human being. Yeah, it's more of a reflection of the job itself, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So let's get into uh, some voting questions. So sure. what is your opinion on non-violent felons regaining the right to vote? Oh, absolutely. I think non-violent felons absolutely should, especially if they paid their debt back to society. You know, um, they, they did their time, you know, they went through their punishment, they came out the other end, um, especially, you know, um, it's not easy, um, 
you know, going through probation and all the things you have to do, you know, after jail. If you come on the other side of that, there should absolutely be a, a forgiveness plan. And I think, I think their voices should be heard. Um, I don't necessarily think the same of someone who is still currently in prison. Um, but if you did your time, you're on the other side of things, I, I think you should be reinstated as a contributing member of society. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that as well. And so I guess we'll go to violent felons. So someone who was arrested for, we'll just say, beating his wife. Uh, you know, I would say the same thing. If they're on the other side of that, they paid back, you know, their debt to society. Um, you know, I mean, just because you were a shitbag in the past doesn't mean you're a shitbag today. Um, I think people need to be given the opportunity to atone for the things they've done and to obtain forgiveness. Um, so I think if you, you know, pay your debts to society, you get out of prison and like, you maintain, you know, uh, a role as a productive and upstanding member of society, your past is your past. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the the reason why I asked the nonviolent one first is just I I tend to see that most people will agree with that statement rather than all felons. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to kind of well, I I can see that. Well, I, I like part of the reason why I started this show is because I wanted to talk to people on every possible political like people who are politically anywhere left right center up down and just yeah. just to, what what a lot of my guests are I, we'll find out after i get past like 20 episodes <laughs> so far a lot of my guests there's things that a majority of them agree on some of them who consider themselves conservative some of them consider themselves progressive there's things that we agree on and like today, everything's so polarized. It's either you're right or you're left. You're blue team or you're red team. Yeah, it's it's kind of insane, um, you know how much how much people like to fight. And it, I find people often will just argue the, the, a different side of the same coin. You know, when you kind of get into, you know, the get through all the fat and just get to straight to the meat of it. A lot of the times, like people agree on things. They just don't know how to formulate their opinion, you know, correctly. Like I, I get into it with, uh, you know, with people on like the socialist issues, you know, we, we argue back and forth, but really like we both think the same thing. We just have, you know, we have a slightly broken system, but we have different ways to uh you know to address that and to correct yeah uh i remember back when i was living in california i my friend was dating this girl she was a progressive at the time i was a staunch conservative and we would have discussions and and at the end of the discussion we would agree that just because we think that there's different methods of doing it doesn't mean 
that we both don't want the same thing. Like, like people on the right want people to be able to get healthcare, be able to get treatment. People on the left want the same thing. They just have two different ways of getting there. Exactly. And I feel like a lot of the rhetoric going on right now is you hear uh, people on the right saying that, or people on the left saying that Republicans don't care. They're, they don't want you to have health care. They're okay with you dying on the streets. And I don't think that's, that's the truth. And I think that's bad for a political system. And then people on the right saying the same thing. They want socialism, communism. Like some, some, some people are socialists, but most Democrats are not. Most people want the same thing. Do you find uh, being being more moderate? You know, when you're when you're addressing the right and the left, do you, do you feel like you address the left with a little more of a um, trying to think of a good way to put it, like a separation than necessarily the right, like separating yourself from that group? Uh like I said, like if I'm moderate, you're saying I separate myself with the left more than I separate myself with the right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think when I'm having conversations about it, it depends on who I'm talking to. Yeah. So if I'm talking to someone who's right leaning, I tend to be more left leaning because I'm trying to think about it. So this is their argument. What is the typical argument of someone on the left? And like an argument that I understand, like how you said that both sides have good arguments for abortion. There's good argument for pro-life, good argument for pro-choice. So mm-hmm. I take the good arguments. I'm always thinking there's good arguments on both sides. Ultimately, I will, I personally lean one way, but I understand. Yeah. I, I ask because I do find myself doing that. And, and it's not because I favor, you know, the right a little bit more, but I, I, find, I find the left tends to be a little bit more extreme than, uh, than the right. I would say lately that is true. I think, I think you see it even on the debate stage, not just what you see in colleges and all that stuff, but yeah. even on the debate stage when when uh, John Delaney was debating Elizabeth Warren on universal health care. She was, she's to the far left and he's a moderate Democrat, but she was calling him out for using Republican talking points when he's just trying to be moderate Democrat. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It's, it's definitely a side. I, I have a little harder time relating and, I mean, not to say that there's not extremism on the right, because because there is. Um, I think I think it's it tends to be in in my experience people who are on the extreme far right, and I don't I don't mean to you know generalize, uh, but people I find on the extreme far right tend to be, you know, older, a little less intelligent. 
to be, to be uh, blunt about it, and, and it feels like a much smaller group. Um, whereas I think the left extremists, you know, tend to be just as extreme as the far right. But there are, there are people who have a lot more, um, they tend to be higher intellect, you know, than, than the far right. Um, but I, I think they're equally as dangerous and probably more of them, especially in, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure your age exactly. Um, I'm in my early thirties. I kind of picture it both in the same, like, you know, that group and, and the younger kids coming up, I, I think I'm finding a lot more of them going that far left extreme. Well, I've, I've realized the, uh, I hate using it, but the millennial generation tends to be yeah. more left-leaning. But yeah. there's studies that show right now, it's a little early to tell though, but the generation after is going to be more right-leaning. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of how things cycle, you know, anyway. Um, you know, our millennial generation kind of came from a stricter, you know, 80s generation. Those people came from, you know, the free-loving hippies of the 60s. Those people came from, you know, the, you know, the, the hard-ass, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, their parents were the fucking flappers in the 1920s. It's just like, it seems like every generation after just rebels against their parents either way. So, I mean, I, I'm fully expecting, you know, the generation after to kind of throw up the middle fingers to the you know, millennials and move to that far right. I, th I think it's circular. Well, yeah, well, it's, uh, I, I like it. I like, I like that our presidencies tend to flip flop Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, because, or for two reasons. One, it just shows that our, our system does work a little bit. Yeah. And then two, you, you're not getting stuck going one way. So if, if, if one party is actually screwing stuff up, you got another party that takes it back a little bit and then maybe a little bit farther that direction and then it stays in the middle, which is where most people align themselves with. Most people align themselves physically conservative, socially liberal. Yeah. Which I think our country has done decently well in the past 20 years in staying in the middle. Yeah. I don't know about you too, but I, uh, I vote differently based on if something is, you know, a state position versus a federal position. Um, at the state level, I'm far more inclined to lean red. Um, I just think at a state level, Republican politics tend to work a little bit better. Um, City-wise, I, I might go a little more blue. Um, federally, I could go either way, but I, I find I, I definitely have different criteria in what I'm looking for depending on the level of government I'm voting. Well, so I agree with you there. Uh, at a state level, I think both, both right and left if we're talking smaller population, like local or even some states, yeah, 
both policy, uh, both ideas can work because it's a smaller population, it's easier to manage. But when you're talking federal, it's kind of hard to just do just red policies and just left policies. Yeah. Because now we're talking so many different people, socioeconomically, environment, populations, or you kind of need a mixture of both. Completely agree on it. I know this is um, slightly veering off topic, but I, I think they're very connected. Um, how do you feel about electoral college? I, I think it's a little bit outdated, but I also think if we were to get rid of it, we would need to replace it with something very similar. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm not, uh, I, I definitely do see the flaws in it, but at the same time, New York and California can't be who elects our president every single time. Yeah, if, if that's the way we did it, Virginia would never see presidential candidate ever again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's, that's the problem with getting rid of it. I personally like the idea of ranked choice voting or ranked based voting, which is you, you rank your candidates and that's how you decide. So people who voted for Gary Johnson, if he didn't have enough votes to make it to the next round, then he okay. then it would to your, your number two person, whether that be Trump or Hillary. I so, gotcha. So it would make the third party more prevalent, and then everyone's vote would end up having a meaning. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't even mind. Uh, there's two states that do it. Uh, Maine, I think, is one. Uh, I forget the other one where, um, you know, they. Uh, electoral votes don't all have to go to the same, you know, person. Like some electoral votes for the state can go to one candidate. Some electoral votes for, for the state can go to another candidate. And truly more by counting than it is by the entire state of the union. I like that too because I think that adds another dynamic to it. I think, uh, you know, breaking that down a little bit, um, I think that could change a presidential election, you know, quite a bit, probably be a bitch for the, <laughs> you know, for the, the vote counters, but, you know, I, I think that'd be a nice compromise. Well, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't be against that idea either. Like, in, we'll use Pennsylvania as an example. Trump won Pennsylvania by, I think, like, a couple hundred thousand votes, something like yeah. that. So he would get, I'll just use 20, it's an easy number. Uh, sure. he, would, he would get 12 electorate votes and Hillary would get eight. I think that's a much more accurate way of doing it. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I think, I think it, would, it would change the way they campaign. As in, so Trump spent most of his time in the swing states, which was smart, Hillary. Yeah. Hillary's, I don't know who was running her campaign, but it was foolish. That was that was her campaign to lose. Yeah, yeah. I just man, she dropped the ball hard on that one. She never went to Wisconsin a single time. How do you do that? How do you? Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like especially the way our electoral system works, where you know that like forty-three states are going to be locked in 
I'm there seven eating clams. <laughs> <laughs> like, why, why are you wasting time in New York, Hillary? <laughs> so, do you think we should have, like, an automatic voter registration? Uh, by automatic voter registration, you mean, like, you go to the DMV, get your driver's license, and you're automatically... Like, when you turn 18, you automatically be registered. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, there's pros and cons to both of them. Um, you know, it, it would, it would kind of free things up where you don't have people, you know, last second, um, trying to, uh, register to vote. Uh, I don't know how it was for uh, for you in Virginia, but up here in Connecticut, never in the last uh, you know the last midterm election, I'm watching you know the six o'clock news, and there's a you know line in in Hartford, you know, going around city blocks of people who just never got around to registering to vote, and are trying to do that all before um, you know the polls close. So you would. You would avoid that, but at the same time, you know, I I think a big a big thing is uh, people who vote just for the sake of voting, just to say they did. I I want people to be passionate about it. I want people to vote informed. I think I would rather have you know forty percent turnout of people who are informed and know who they're voting for and why they're voting for them than a hundred percent of people who are just there to fill out a bubble, you know, based on a, you know, based on their team's mascot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I get that argument. That's, uh, I was having discussion with one of my buddies and he was saying how he thinks that we, there should be a test. If you want to vote, you, there should be some sort of test saying that, all right, I know enough to vote. And I was watching uh, Joe Rogan with, I believe it was Dan Crenshaw podcast. And Joe Rogan said, every person before they vote should watch a five minute clip of of all the candidates' policies. Yeah. So people don't just go in there not knowing who they're voting for. You at least get a rundown right before you vote. Or even with like, even if there was something like the the um, the I stand with test, where mm-hmm. you just you go in and you know you take the time to answer questions about each you know thing, how much this means to you, and then it kind of spits back, you know, hey, this is the candidate that makes the lines with you. Here's the top four. Here's the top five. And kind of, you know, kind of pick from there. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, election day should be a holiday? I do. I do think it should be a holiday. I mean, Fourth of July is a holiday, right? I don't. <laughs> I don't see it as being any less, you know patriotic than that um yeah i definitely think election day should be uh should be a holiday all right uh i got a couple more questions yeah so 
congressmen. Right now, they can serve every two or six years to get reelected. Do you think that there should be term limits for congressmen? Hmm. You know, that's that's a very it's a very right stance. You know, that that tends to be you tend to get more Republican candidates looking for you know term limits. You know, I think <laughs> I I think we should let the free market run its course, so to speak. You know, if you're if you're doing a great job, uh, you know, and the people want to keep electing you, I I think you should be able to. I think it helps the state to have you know someone you know serving them who's experienced, who's tenured, um, but at the same time. You know, you get a lot of people who just vote because they know the name. Um, yeah, incumbents usually win like yeah. 90% of the time. I think, I think there should be term limits. Um, but I think, I think you should get, you know, quite a bit. I don't necessarily want to, you know, cap it at, you know, two terms. I know that's, that's kind of the... Uh, big one especially congress you know um congressmen are in what two years i think they are uh or at least house house is two years and senate six mm -hmm. um you know so, yeah senate maybe two terms you know house you should you should be able to go for more than two uh you know maybe maybe six terms because that would equal you know the same 12 years yeah um i think I think uh, I think there should be term limits, but I also think that you know candidates should be able to, to spend a good amount of time too. Mm -hmm. Well, so the reason why I asked that question is usually because we see a lot of people who are just career politicians. Like, yeah, which isn't bad if they're doing good stuff or if they're doing good for their constituents. That's what matters most. Doesn't necessarily matter what I think of them it's what their it's constituents what think of but. and that's that's what makes it tough because it's hard to apply a strict rule across the board to everybody because there are definitely some situations where we should have some term limits, and there are some situations where you know someone should be able to keep doing you know good for their their community and their uh you know their, their constituents So what do you think about the Supreme Court term limits for them? That would be, that would be harder to, uh, to do. Cause I mean, Supreme Court is the NWO. Once you're in, you're in for life. Uh, <laughs> um, sorry. I'm a <laughs> bit of a wrestling nerd too. Um, no, I'm, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine with, uh, Supreme Court, you know, the way it is, um, you know, it, it kind of sucks if you're kind of on the outside looking in, you know, your party, at least like, you know, the, the hard progressives, you know, they're, they're going to be hating life for a little bit, but I don't think the Supreme Court should be, you know, their job is important enough where I don't think they should sway back and forth. There should be some stability to the judicial branch that, you know, can 
executive and legislative branches don't necessarily get. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Oh, well, one of the worries that I have with the idea of term limits on the Supreme Court would be that these justices would be would would no longer be making a ruling from what they actually believed was right. It'd be they'd be making a ruling so they can hopefully get reappointed. Yeah. Ten years later, or how that's many a, years? That's a great point that I didn't uh, I didn't think of. Kudos, I like it. I'm with you. <laughs> All right, and then, so we talked about gun control, climate change. I got one last issue that I'd Ow. like to talk about. Yeah, hit me. All right, immigration. Immigration, oh, that is a great one to end on. Um, you know, my, my biggest thing with immigration and I don't necessarily I'm trying to think of the best way I want to present this. Um, I think there's two ways to go with immigration. Um, I think we either have to, you know, be the classic America that says, give us your tired, give us your broken. And we have to, we have to be open uh, and we have to accept those coming in with, with, uh, you know, open arms. Or I think we have to kind of realize we're past that point, you know, get past some of the, you know, poetic, uh, you know, feel good sayings like that and realize, you know, there comes a point where we have to close things off uh, just for, for the sake of us. You know, like I, I think of running the government like running a household. And if you're a household that can take in, you know, the needy and can, you know, um, provide for them, that's great. And that's fantastic if you can, but there's a limit on that. You know, you can't, you can't let your own children go hungry to feed the strangers. Um, personally, if I was, you know, if I was in a position where I got to decide how immigration works, I think there would be a, a hard number we have to go by. Um, and the majority would be skimming the best off the top, you know, going to our ambassadors in other countries and saying, this is how many, you know, people you have take the best and brightest from this country, bring over the doctors, bring over the scientists, uh, bring over the businessmen. Um, you can offer them, you know, this amount of money to, to use as a startup to come here in America. And let's, I say like, let's pick the first fruits off of other countries. Um, we should definitely have uh, a reserve amount for, you know, um, for people, you know, escaping hardships for, um, you know, for refugees, for one big one that, that gets, um, you know, overlooked a lot are, you know, uh, countries where we have troops in. You know, like some of these Middle Eastern countries where, you know, we we take the locals and they become interpreters, you know, for our troops. And they're kind of left in really bad situations when we eventually leave. You know, they're left in these countries where they've kind of betrayed, you know, 
their their government to help us um those are definitely people we should be watching out for i think those are definitely people we should be bringing over here um so i would reserve you know i would reserve numbers for them but i think i think we should be using you know immigration to to bring over the you know kind of the cream of the crop and focusing on them for the most part that's how that's how you know, you know not to not to rip off uh donald trump but that's how you make america great is by diversifying but diversifying in the right way mm -hmm. well yeah well i agree that uh we do we should be trying to get the best of the best and then there's also the people who are just who just need a better life like that they can't get in mexico but they can get in the u.s yeah. which it's a I, I use this as the same as the gun argument. So a lot of people on the right hate against like immigrants. They're saying like, oh, there's gang members, there's there's violent people that come through the border, which is true. Like there's yeah. a minority of them that do that. But it's the same argument for people who want to all out ban guns. You're gonna let a few bad apples ruin it for everyone hey. else. Exactly. And I mean, I mean, my, you know, um, like my, my, my mom is an immigrant. Like she came here from Armenia, you know, when, you know, when she was a, a teenager, you know, my, my grandparents, you know, for like, I'm like, I'm the first, you know, I'm the first person in my line who was born here in America. So, you know, I, I get it. I, I am a direct descendant of immigrants. Um, but at the same time, I, I think, you know, I think the path to citizenship needs to be a little, you know, uh, a little more open. We need to kind of come up with a way where people want to become citizens here and becoming a citizen is easy. You know, it's, it's like having a bank, you know, where, you don't want to give ATM cards to people who don't put their money in. Uh, but at the same time, you want people to open up accounts, you know, and, and I think that's the way we need to approach immigration. We need to make it easy to sign up and to contribute and to do things the right and legal way. Um, that definitely has to be reformed, but at the same time, we can't be giving out ATM cards to people who aren't depositing. Well, yeah, well, that's something uh, I've always thought is part of the problem why people come here illegally or it's just I think the way the system is handled is we need a more efficient way to handle it at the end of the day yeah you have people who have to wait up to in some cases up to a year to know whether or not they can immigrate here and some, I, pe I, some people don't have a year to figure yeah. out if they can immigrate here. Um, I think our current administration is kind of fucked up on that too, um, especially some of the deportations, um, deport, you know, deporting people who do have a right to be here. Uh, like, you know, the, the Dreamers, the Dreamers program, for example, like you got people who signed up to do things the legal way and then you deported them. Why would anybody do things the right way if that's how you're going to treat them? You know, those people need to be, they need to be 
praised for it, they need to be, you know, taken care of to show that like, this is how you do it. You need to do things, you know, the legal way, not by punishing the people who did it that way. Well, the dreamers, I have probably the most sympathy for them just because they came here when they were just a child. They had no control. Yeah. Whether or not they were born here or not, that their parents took them across the border and here they are, they're undocumented, but they they grew up American. We need to find out, we need, we need to find a way to get them to become citizens rather than kicking them out. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I don't know, you get to the point where like, in, in that case where you were born here, you grew up here, you, you speak English. I mean, you're really exiling someone to a foreign country at that point. Yeah, a lot of them don't even speak like, fluent Spanish who get deported back because they grew up here and they went to they went to elementary school with their kids, with, with grew up, you know? So yeah. that's that's a situation where I've never really agreed with the right on that. I think we need better treatment of dreamers. I think we need to figure out a better system for immigration. Just a refresh on it. Yeah, we definitely, we definitely do. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think everyone who, who is here, who's, you know, shown themselves to be an upstanding citizen who, you know, we, we brought this up, before, you know, before in a different scenario, but if, if you don't have, you know, violent crimes, you should, you should be granted citizenship, you know, I mean, and some crimes should even be over. Like, I don't, I don't give a shit if you sell weed and like give that guy a citizenship. He hasn't really, you know, yeah. <laughs> like don't kick anyone out for stupid shit like that. But, you know, I mean, if, if someone has a violent past, by all means, you know, deport them, ship them out. But, you know, I just, I don't understand taking people who have shown themselves to be upstanding citizens and deporting them. Yeah, I think I think that makes people want to hide it more. Exactly. Well, we talked for over an hour, so that's that's always a good conversation. Yeah, no, definitely. This is uh this has been fun. I don't get asked I don't get asked political opinions a lot because I'm very opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh thank you for being on the show. I appreciate you having me. Want to share any words to the audience? Um, not too much. Um, plug myself a little bit if that's cool. Yeah, go for it. Uh, I'm not sure when this is going up, but if you're in the Connecticut area, I will be doing stand-up comedy at Randall's in, in West Haven uh, tomorrow night, actually. Um, and then later on in the month, I have a show in Norwalk, Connecticut. I'm just trying to find Black Pond Brews. Oh, Danielson, Connecticut. Black Pond Brews in Danielson, Connecticut, September 27th. If you're around, you should definitely um, um, see me talk about not politics. <laughs> more uh -huh. impressions. Less politics, a lot more, a lot more impressions. That's what you'll get. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you.